Welcome to CooperCast, the Leonard Skinner episode, part one. This is your host, Al's web dude, John Sachs. In this episode, Al talks about getting set up in Atlanta, hearing Skinner, signing and recording them, getting their first big tour, opening for The Who. The first thing is I moved to Atlanta. I've just sort of moved there. And through luck and stance, I bumped into a guy that I went to summer camp with in the street in Atlanta, and he owns the big club in town, the big music club. So he tells me that I can come there whenever I want, and it'll give me like a private seating, and I can come hear bands whenever I want. And it's the best place to go in town because the best bands play there, but they're not famous, which is what I'm looking for. So they had a band would play there from Tuesday through Sunday. You'd book them and they'd play like three sets a night. And so I started hanging out at the club. And the first two weeks, the bands were okay, but not anything that you'd want to spend money on. Then comes this band. I'm there on Tuesday night and they kill me. I think they're fantastic. By the second, third night talking to them in between sets. So I asked if I could sit in. They didn't have a keyboard player. Ergo, they didn't have a keyboard. So I said, uh, if there's an extra guitar, I said, I can play guitar. So I went up on stage. They called me up on stage and they hand me the guitar. I said, what are we playing? And Ronnie Van Zandt says, uh, Mean Woman Blues in C sharp. And I cracked up laughing because someone who didn't know what they were doing could not do that unless they had a capo or something. So I said, uh, that's okay, I got it. And so I, I passed the first test, but I got a big laugh out of that. And the more I heard them each night, the more I thought they were dollar signs. Plus I liked them as people right away. Now they knew who you were by name. The name Al Cooper meant something to them. Yes. Fortunately, their manager traveled with them. So I sat with him, asked him a lot of questions. And they were based in Florida. And by the end of the week, I was talking to the manager about signing them to my label that I had just started. As time went by, I signed them to the label. I also signed another a band that was local to Atlanta called Mose Jones. And that actually was the first album I did for my label. Then I did the first Skinner album at the studio that I had bought into in Atlanta. And so they, they came to Atlanta and we did their first album at that studio. Actually, everything I did while I lived in Atlanta, I did at that studio. And it was in Doraville, Georgia. And it was the home of the Atlanta rhythm section. And so I worked with them a lot, except that the guy that owned the studio managed and produced them. But they were a great studio band. So I did a lot of stuff with them. And when I, had, when I needed help with Skinner, 
like uh, their drummer would play on some stuff. So it was a uh, very helpful situation. And we recorded the first album. What were the challenges for you in getting Skinner on record? Well, A, trying to break bad habits that they had, little things and difference between playing live and playing in the studio. Also, being in control was, was difficult. Well, not so much that. I wanted to get the best performance out of them because I knew how good they were, and I wanted that to be what I recorded. I did the vocals later. I can't remember if they had a keyboard player then or not, but I, I played a lot of keyboard on it. After we finished the album, they got a keyboard player. He was a, very, he was a good keyboard player. There's a lot of guys on the cover of the first album. I think there's almost eight guys. Seven, I think. Well, there were three guitar players. I can't remember if I mixed it in Doraville or I mixed it in LA, but I mixed it, it passed their test. And when I was in LA, I was up at MCA, which was the company my label was through. Their main office is in Los Angeles. And I bumped into Pete Townsend, who through various things I had become very friendly with, and I had played on some Who records. So we were friends. I was coming out of MCA, he was going into MCA because he was on MCA, the Who were on MCA. He said, what are you doing here? And I happened to have a test pressing of the Skinnerd album. It hadn't come out yet, but I got a few when I was up there. So I said, well, I just uh, started a label here and I have uh, the first album coming out. Uh, I'd like to give you a copy. I said, you might like it. So I gave him a copy and I wrote my phone number on the label. So he called me two days later and said, the reason I'm here is we're putting a new album out and we're going on a huge tour and we need an opening act and your band sounds great. He said, are they good live? I said, they're even better live than they are on the record. He said, I would like them to open the tour for us. And I thought, this is like a dream. <laughs> Everything's falling into place. And so I told them, and they probably had never played any place that held more than two or 300 people. Now they were going to play places that held 16,000 people. So I was a little weird about that. So I, I wanted to sort of babysit them. So I said, I want to mix the, your show. They said, well, we have guys that do that. I said, this is different. I said, you have to use their PA system and their guy mixes from the side of the stage instead of out in the audience like most people do. And he mixes from the side of the stage. So if anything sounds wrong to Townsend, he can walk over and listen. And if he doesn't like it, he can hit them, actually physically assault them, which is the part I didn't like. It was tough for Skinner. But after the third show, I knew how to mix them because... If you're like me, if you produce records, your hands are on the console all the time. And a lot of the stuff I used to engineer. So I was prepared for that. And I wanted to make sure, I thought it was over the head of the their guys that, that you know, from Florida that had never 
been to these places. So I cleared out my schedule and I went on the tour with them and I mixed the sound. It was a long tour. It was coast to coast. So it was probably two months, probably 72. And the guy that managed them, I also knew. His name was Peter Rudge. And so he could come to me if there were any problems. If there was any problem, he and I knew each other very well. They didn't give a shit about um, what the Allman Brothers did. As a matter of fact, I, I once went to an outdoor show where they opened for the Allman Brothers after their album was out. Didn't intimidate them at all because they didn't play the same kind of music. So my favorite band that I thought was the best band in the world was the English group Free. That was absolutely my favorite band. And there were very similar things between Free and Skinner. And Skinner also were huge Free fans. That helped our relationship quite a bit. It must have been a period of great change for the band, not just going from small halls to big halls, but from kind of small time to big time. The biggest time. Nobody really played bigger places every night. Did you see changes in the band's understanding of who they were? Did they change their personalities? Yes. Now when they got drunk, they got drunk with The Who. I was closest with Townsend and Keith Moon. I have a lot of Polaroids from the tour. So they're learning to be rock stars instead of just rock musicians. Well, they're not stars yet. Yeah, but they're learning by hanging out with the who, what rock stars are like. What some rock stars are like. What happens after the tour? I went to bed. (laughs) I slept for a week. This has been Coopercast, the Leonard Skinner episode part one. Look for more episodes coming up and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about any podcast distributor.